Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the review show for the episode on free movement with guest Pat McFadden. I'm Progress Deputy Editor Connor Pope and I'm with Progress Director Richard Angel and Events Manager Katie Curtis to look through some of the reactions to this week's show. March issue of Progress magazine, What to Do About Borders, starts landing with members and subscribers from today, and it aims to kick off a debate in the Labour Party about free movement, our borders, and identity cards. So Richard, we've been trying to get a bit of a debate going this week and get a bit of uh, coverage for this. Do you think people have been paying attention? I think people have been paying attention. You know, Progress is pro-free movement, pro-saying the single market and the customs union, but we can't go back to the public because we know from campaigns that you only win if you're about the change and own the future. So the public, 17 million people voted for change, and we've offered up what some of that change could look like. Not all things that people in their party would agree with, but none of them are things that they wouldn't agree with because they're against our values. And so we put that forward, and the debate has gone, I think, really well. Yourself had a Connor had a great piece with the Times Red Box. I've had a piece in Labour List, Huffington Post, and the New European. But other people have been talking about it as well. Whether it's reports on Politics Home, Tom Harris at the Telegraph, the Mirror, and other places, uh, the Guardian, and I think the, Labour List had the had a Labour. news story on it as so well. It's really kind of been there. And what is interesting is that. People have rode in from all sides of politics. So we've been attacked by the kind of UKIP right, by the kind of free border Jonathan Porter's left, if you will. And what's interesting is that some of the people who would normally see themselves as there to attack progress on this haven't been able to because they're caught up in the 2017 manifesto slightly odd commitment of ending free movement, which, let's face it, isn't what Labour is about. And I don't think we want to go uh, kind of offering the public things that probably we can't actually deliver. Leaving the single market is going to cost the British economy £45 billion a year. That is basically what John McDonnell is going to bring in with the 2017 series of tax measures. If you make it then harder for Eastern Europeans to come to the UK on top of that, it's going to affect the economy even more. So this is just going to compound the austerity that Labour is against without having any ability to reverse it. And that's totally ridiculous. So what I think we've come up with is a useful part of a debate. And some have welcomed it, some have not. But never say that we don't get into the important issues. 
And I think actually it's worth assessing some of the pushback that we've had on it quite honestly, because obviously kind of people looked at, especially the ID cards proposal, which we both put forward this week. And it's easy to look at the headlines and think that we've been a bit backwards looking, that it's an old proposal that we're just trying to refashion and suit our purposes in the modern day. But actually, I think we we recognised that there was going to be that pushback before we did this magazine, before we wrote any of these articles. But to be honest, it's so difficult to start a policy debate in the current Labour Party. Like genuinely, it is really hard that we reckoned that actually having that, which is obviously something we believe as the kind of top line going out, would actually get people listening. And there was 10 proposals in your long piece in the magazine that's online, Freedom of Manoeuvre that people might look at the other proposals as well, rather than just that one. But we needed that as a kind of hook to get people interested. And and also, I don't think it is that backwards looking ID cards. I think if you look at um, the Estonia model, for example, and the way that they are using digital ID on the face of uh, Russia, their next door neighbour, and how safe that is, and how much power it gives to citizens to control their own digital ID and and how it is transforming that relationship between the citizen and the state. I think it's a really forward-looking thing and it's a really exciting proposal. And I, I hope actually, like, you know, people may have laughed it off when they first saw it on Tuesday morning. But actually, I think maybe as the week's gone on, people are starting to think a little bit differently about it. I think that's true. What's changed since Labour proposed this when they were in government before? It's Jeremy Corbyn's now leader of the Labour Party who opposed the ID card system then. But in a speech over a year ago, he said we all need a digital passport where you can kind of travel the internet with one identity, one that's safe and secure, so you can buy stuff online, trade online, be yourself online. How is that different to having an offline ID card if you're going to have an online passport? Also, the invention of blockchain that can kind of the bit that sits behind Bitcoin, but is used by other places. And of course, you've now got other countries that are able to do it. And you mentioned Estonia. The thing about Estonia is that not only do they have this kind of e-democracy and digital citizen concept there, they have the most aggressive neighbour in Russia. And now if we know that Russia are going to try and swamp either the Brexit debate or American presidential elections with fake news to try and change the outcome, we're damn sure they're trying to infiltrate some of these systems. So you've literally got its closest neighbour with a huge Russian population where Russia are actively being aggressive on its border. And it's been able to come up with a system that has been robust for that period of time. That gives us quite a lot of confidence. This doesn't have to be the same system. going. The third change is that the data regulation changes are in the UK are putting data in the hands of the user or we the citizen rather than the companies that are doing it. And that's what the kind of blockchain technology would seek to do in an ID card system. So there's potentially lots of opportunities and things is a totally different world. So just because it happened to be an idea that was there in the past and we've done it now doesn't mean we're rehashing the past. When Ken Livingston in favour of gay rights and Tony Blair then did it 15 years later, it wasn't that he was going backwards, it was that they were both aiming to kind of own the future. And I think we're feeding into a debate that in many ways is inevitable in the Labour Party. I think if you look just last week, there was an open letter in The Guardian written by a number of quite prominent people of the left of the party and in trade unions, such as uh, the Bakers Union and the TSSA, calling for 
Corbyn to embrace free movement. It was obviously uh, Labour had a policy of ending free movement in the 2017 manifesto, but they were calling to reverse that as a policy. And so actually, I've got a piece in the magazine that is going up today on the kind of immigration splits that currently exist in the Labour Party. We're in a much more interesting place than I think we were even five years ago. These new splits are, are not on the traditional ideological lines that you might imagine. And there's a lot of crossover there. And so I think it is actually... Um, not really knowable where we will end up with a policy in the next couple of years. I think that's true as well. And it's not just been the magazine that's been in the media this week, it's been this very podcast. Those of you (laughs) who are loyal listeners will remember that Alison McGovern had some choice words to say about Brexit, which we can hear again now. If you look at the problems that certain places in the North have, it's because of deindustrialisation that was started by Thatcher. And Brexit is just like the you know, if I'm allowed to use this terminology, the shit cherry on the shit icing on the shit cake (laughs) that the Tories baked us all, you know, in the 80s. And those choice words were picked up by our friends in the right-wing media. The Express seemed to splash it it was, uh, it was an, ex- an expletive-ridden rant, I believe the uh, Daily Express called it. And a slur on Brexit voters, <laughs> I- I'm sure. The Standard also picked it up. But I think you had a kind of interesting insider take on the story. My favourite bit was that they transcribed the clip, but it seems that Alison's uh, northern accent fooled some people at uh, <laughs> the Daily Express. who Thwarted the right-wing media. <laughs> who perhaps are not used to hearing um, a Wirral accent. Because they transcribed her saying the word um, chilli in where she actually said actually. Uh, <laughs> so, and the piece had literally had all this stuff about Pinochet in it. Which... Yeah, there was, there was a long section about Margaret Thatcher's support for Pinochet in the 1980s in, in the Daily Express. Which, um, which is a very important point. I mean, it was a very wrong thing to have done. And no, it probably has led terrible consequences to Britain and a standing in the world. But... but I'm not sure Brexit was one of those consequences. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, I'm just pleased they prominently mentioned the Progressive Britain podcast in both of those stories. I'm very pleased with both of them. I thought it went very well. And frankly, I thought the chilli thing was brilliant. And I got a shout out for the Progressive Britain podcast on the Politics Home podcast, which I oh, cool. am on. And it's also out today. So people we should tune into that as well. Absolutely. So yesterday was um, International Women's Day. Progress held an event celebrating 100 years since women first got the vote and supporting all women shortlist with uh, Alison McGovern, first female home secretary Jackie Smith, Aisha Hazarika and Melanie on there. Richard, me and you weren't there because it was an all-women event. So we've got Katie Curtis, our events manager, who was there. Katie, how did it go? Yeah, it was a really good event. Yesterday, obviously, was International Women's Day and we wanted to celebrate that because obviously from today and for the next 363 days, it's International Men's Day. <laughs> uh, so uh, we, were really, we were really keen on doing something for both our members, but also our supportive politicians. And so that's why we came up with the reception. We had a really good attendance from all sides of the party, all ages. That was really good. And it was really sort of a positive event. What people have said is that the feel of it was was very good. And it's something that they hope that will be put on again. And that's certainly something they want to embrace progress more with. Um, and and so it that wasn't was really just good. 100 years of women voting that's been celebrated, but in particular, the advent of all women shortlist by Labour and some of the great women that have been selected 
through them. Is that right? Yeah. So what we were saying was that the 100 years is really important and we wanted to acknowledge that anniversary from this year, but also to say that actually where we are with representation 100 years after women first got the vote with women's representation is mainly down to Labour bringing in all women's shortlists before 97. And so that's what we did. We had women there who were celebrating the fact that they'd been selected on the all women's shortlists and then some women there who were there to reaffirm our support for all women's shortlists in the future because uh, the job isn't done which was I think one of the things one of the themes from all the speakers was the fact that we'd come along a very long way especially Labour and women in the Labour Party uh, and the Labour Party because of women but it doesn't stop here. This The process of change is ongoing uh, and we are still having attacks on our rights and, and, and those and not just here but around the world and how we have to stand up for our sisters across the country but so also across the globe. Well, I think Melon, who was one of the MPs who, who was at the event this week, she also had a parliamentary debate on misogyny this week, didn't she? This week on Wednesday, Melanie had a Westminster Hall debate, which is a committee debate that has the powers of the chambers she had a debate on making misogyny a hate crime and ironically but not probably surprisingly she spent most of yesterday and the day before being targeted especially online by a whole load of misogyny which actually whilst upsetting for her was proving her point of what of why this needs to change and it certainly is something that needs to be legislated for. And certainly I know that police forces around the country are already looking at misogyny and, and, and using hate crime powers. And Melon uh, is the MP for Great Grimsby? She's the MP. And so she's not only the MP for Great Grimsby, she was selected on all the women's shortlist and is the very first woman MP for Great Grimsby. So certainly when she came to celebrate last night, we were celebrating that fact also. Yeah, and we went up to campaign for her in the 2015 election, where, which is when she got elected, which was really Yeah, great. and so she was, she was a a new woman MP obviously in a area that had many MPs for a very long time but yeah. has certainly made her her presence felt there in the two years and and has extended her majority in in June she's a remarkable MP on the uh, sorry on the subject of um, first women MPs my hometown Blackburn uh, the first you w- from the north <laughs> the, fir- <laughs> the first female MP for Blackburn was Barbara Castle who's obviously an incredible Hero. labor figure yeah um, she was first elected in 19 19- 45 and stood down in uh, 79 and uh, there was a, a fundraiser started this week uh, launched yesterday on International Women's Day for um, a statue to be built in, in all Bla- this but a link to it on the podcast yeah the well so the the link is gofundme.com forward slash Barbara Castle but you can also find it in the links underneath this show I just think she, you know, she is an incredible hero of mine as well. My school bus used to go down Barbara Castle Way each morning in the middle of a Blackburn town centre. And obviously her contribution was immortalised in the brilliant film Made Lady Dagnum, Dagnum. Yeah, I uh, mean, which talks about the kind of struggle for the Equal Pay Act. Yeah, in, in terms of her achievements, they are remarkable. As well as introducing the Equal Pay Act, she was integral for a child benefit to be paid to mothers instead of fathers, higher pay for nurses and raised pensions and benefits for older people, as well as things like breathalyzers. 70 miles per hour speed limit and seatbelts in cars. That is an incredible uh, kind of list of achievements. So we use, we use the terms legend and trailblazers quite willy-nilly these days, but that's somebody who really was. Yeah, and absolutely. certainly to to women of my generation and younger, uh, she's she's the person that we, we look to and, and, and hope to be like if, uh, if we ever get the chance to and be And I believe 
it's a good reminder that things go backwards because you're right that she changed to get benefits paid to women and not men. That then got reversed, I believe, by the government that followed Labour. And it was then the Labour government, when I think Harriet Harman was back in charge, that reversed it back the other way. And I think that vigilance has got to be one of the messages from International Women's Day this year because there are attacks on women's shortlists. There are attacks on our women MPs. They seem to get their hate crimes on social media more than anyone. What was nice, it seems, from last night's event is that people were writing why they support all women shortlists. I've got a couple here. One woman says, I support all women shortlists because they're the most effective way to get more women into parliament. And that is invariably true. The Lib Dems, the Tories are massively behind us. Somebody else wrote, because I want to see amazing sisters running the country. And somebody else said, because at Christmas we tell the truth. And this is Jess Phillips's thing. She's renamed International Women's Day as Feminist Christmas. And it certainly felt like feminist Christmas Eve (laughs) at our event. And so people were saying that, but also sort of pointing out the unique involvement that trade union women have had to our movement. And we had Kate Dearden from Community Union, who sponsored our event, who spoke eloquently about how women trade unionists were the backbone of the starting of the Labour Party and, and why that, especially in the last few days, has to be reiterated just in our important that trade unions, but trade union women are uh, to the Labour Party. And those who've not been watching that closely, there has been some debate about the trade union link this week that's come from the traditional left of the party, which I think it's fair to say isn't where some people have thought it would come from, but that came out on some Facebook rants this week. How are other people recognising the Women's Day? What other campaigns are Happening. Yeah, so there's, there's lots of stuff going on. Uh, there's uh, Yesterday was lots of stuff uh, online, particularly on Twitter. Uh, we've seen that uh, there's been some clever marketing uh, from companies. So McDonald's, McDonald's turning the M upside down. So I assume there's loads of men today that are not going in to have their McMuffins. Um, and then <laughs> big wax. Big, they're big, big wax. wax. <laughs> They, don't sell, they weren't selling Big Macs yesterday because, <laughs> uh, like Yorkies, you probably have to be a man to have one. Um, and uh, there's some, um, there's some, there's some work going on. As sort of uh, the Home Secretary is bringing um, legislation to the House um, around. That's quite interesting domestic violence bill, isn't it? Because it's got financial bill. coercion in it for the first time. Absolutely, which is very and very important, and something that certainly that uh, women's groups and um, domestic violence charities have been calling for for a very very long time and and it's that sort of hidden um, abuse yeah. that's really important to, I also saw for us to Stella Creasy was on the Victoria Derbyshire show yesterday talking about both the repeal the 8th which is the referendum in Ireland on making abortion illegal but also the rights of women in Northern Ireland to have an abortion there at the moment they have to come to England because of Stella's campaign it now is for free when they come here yeah so uh, that's that's but that needs to change that's that a needs to change but we've we've seen that that's become more stark in in recent weeks with the weather last week we saw there was hundreds of women that would have been coming from Northern Ireland for abortions who weren't able to because of the weather and and that hits home then of how important it is that they should have the right where they live and and it shouldn't and time be time's po- precious in those time, decisions time's very precious and, and money's very precious and to those people that are seeking it so if they'd already booked their time travel. is precious on this podcast as well <laughs> and we've uh, gone over so every week Connor asks a political pub quiz question and it is International Women's Day themed what was your question? So I asked this week which country had the highest female representation in its parliament in the world? And go on tell us who is it? 
a few people got this right. Uh, India Mark on Twitter, Alexander Porter, Jim Baxter, Dan Bewley all said Rwanda, which has female representation in its parliament of over 60%. Second place is Bolivia with uh, over 50% representation. And the highest country in the G20 with female representation in its parliament is Mexico, which has just about 42%. Wow. So even then, it's still way short of, uh, of what it should be. We'll send a mug to the people who got the answer right. So if you are one of those three people, make sure you send in your address and we can put a mug in the post to you. Yeah, send your address to office at progressonline.org.uk. And do remember to send in any comments and questions, leave a review, rate and subscribe on iTunes and Progressive Britain will be back on Tuesday next week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast with Connor Pope and Richard Angel. The music is When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And this episode was produced by Carolyn Crampton. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,